Not too many of us have thought deeply about what we value most in this world. I mean, most of us are just so busy that we don't have the time to sit around and think about what matters most in our lives. Uh, What do we do? We just kind of live life. We just kind of go through the motions hoping that in some way, somehow, we we catch the really important things, that we do the most important things. Um, but, But we don't often think about these deep, esoteric, philosophical things that are weave throughout our lives, right? We just simply live. But it doesn't mean that we don't have things that we value. It doesn't mean that there aren't certain things that are just really, really important to us. There are. Uh, And so back at the turn of the 20th century, there was a great leader that emerged out of the land of India. Uh, He became this kind of political leader that uh, moved the nation of India away from Great Britain toward democracy and uh, an incredible man, incredible leader. His name was Mahatma Gandhi. Do you, do you recognize the name, Gandhi? Um, he, he, he was famous for not only his political leadership, his revolutionary type of leadership, but he was also very famous for challenging individual men and women toward greatness, challenging them toward thinking about their lives and what really counted, what really mattered in their soul. And, and one of the things that Gandhi was famous for saying is this little paragraph. And I'm just going to read it to you and let, let the wisdom of it settle in on you a little bit. It says this, Gandhi would say, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values and your values He says, become your destiny. Now, I want to dial in just for a moment on that word value, this idea of having values. Because what are values, friends? Values are are principles. They're they're standards. They're they're convictions that guide your thinking and actions and reactions. They, they They are your basic convictions or your beliefs about what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil, and about what you feel is of value in this world, what is worth something to you in, in this world. Your, your values are your internal compass that, that keeps you straight when the whole world is crazy around you. It's what brings stability to you when the whole world is erratic to you. When, when the world is going crazy, your, your values, as a man or a woman, keep you sane. They keep you grounded. They, they keep you heading in the direction that you know you ought to head. You see, with values, you're willing to fight for your values. You're willing to sacrifice for your values. You're willing to give much for your values. What you value, you're willing to pay for. You're willing to, um, to, to, to spend your time, your energy, your talents, your passions on what you, you value. And, and listen, I think you know this, that all great companies in the marketplace have values, Right? They have clearly defined values. All great men have clearly defined values. All great women have clearly defined values. You think of the greatest individuals that have lived. I guarantee you they have clearly defined purpose and values for their life. All great individuals and all great families have values. You show me a family that is working well. They have defined values on who they want to become as as a family. 
And I humbly submit to you that it's not just organizations and, and businesses and families that have great values. There, th- that churches also have values, great values. And great churches have clearly defined values. They have this, they have, they have these codes of conduct about how they're going to treat one another and the world around them. They have these values buried deep into their DNA. And friends, Metro has values as well. Metro has a DNA about us. Uh, the, the Metro has these, these codes of conduct about how we want to do life together, how we want to treat one another in the world around us. Metro has DNA. Metro has a set of values that, that permeate how and what we do. But the problem is, I just haven't ever defined these values for us. Um, you know, as the lead pastor of this kind of very ragtag, motley crew sort of a church, this often rebellious and disorganized and confused sort of a church, but a church that has a great heart, as the lead pastor of a great, great group of people, but a lousy organization half the time, I haven't done a good job of defining our values, spelling these values out, setting the direction of our, of our church. Um, but great churches, friends, listen, great churches have these values. They have a defined set of values. And I'm going to tell you something. I want to be a great church. I want to be a great church that reaches people, that matters deeply in people's lives. And it takes a defined set of values about how we are going to approach this thing called church in order to become that kind of church. So just a few weeks ago, as on one of our weekend gatherings, we, we just simply called it Vision 2015. Uh, we, we talked about the vision of the kind of people we want to become. Uh, we, we, we said that from the very earliest days in the life of our church, we wanted to be a place where lost people mattered to God. We, we talked about being a place where people who are far, far from the heart of God could take steps toward God. And those of us who may have been traveling a little longer in our walk with God, that we too could take next steps. And so we started putting this language, this new language around it, saying we wanted to become a next step sort of a church where people, no matter who you are, whether brand new to this thing called the Christian faith or traveling for a real long time, trying to figure out this relationship with God for a real long time in your life, that you can take next steps toward God and with God in your life. And so we talked about the why we do church, why it is that we're a church, why it is that we exist, that we exist to be a place where people can take next steps in their faith walk toward God and with God. But that's different than how we do church. That's that's different than how we treat one another and how we want to go about our business, how we want to go about our ministry. That's totally different than why we do church. And, And so I remember about a little over a year ago, um, our staff took a uh, trip to Chicago, Illinois to talk specifically about the values of our church, how we wanted to do life together. And being the big spenders that we are, we called up some friends uh, in Chicago that actually live in this Christian commune. They literally live in this Christian commune where they share life together. They bought this old 1920s hotel and every family kind of gets a room or two. They share their money. They share their resources. They pool it all together. And and it's crazy, but it's kind of a cool crazy. They literally have a Christ-centered Christian commune, right? And so uh, we we called them up and said, hey... um, 
we, we, we would like to, you know, stay in one of your buildings. And so they let us stay in this kind of uh, secondary hotel that they own. And it's like a beat up 1920s kind of a place. And I got to admit the lady staffers on our church did not enjoy it too much, but I loved it because I value cheap. And there is nothing cheap about Chicago, okay? And, and so we're there and we're hanging out on these like 30-year-old couches. And uh, uh, Greg, kind of the spiritual Yoda of our, of our church, right? The spiritual development guru kind of guy in our church. Uh, he begins to ask these questions about values. And he says this, he says, looking at what Metro does as a community. Now he's talking to our, our staff, right? A lot of young people, a mixed mixture of people, but these are people who work for us. And he says, now looking at what Metro does and looking at how we do it right now, he asks this question, what's our DNA? What, what do we value? Just looking at what we do and how we do it, what do we value as a community? And all these ideas started to fly around and I'm listening to all this and this great conversation about how we do church, what's important to the people of Metro? What do we feel is like preeminent in our community? And so they start throwing all this around. At the end of the discussion, we were able to boil it down to nine singular words that all of us look back and we just go, Whew. if we could become this kind of church, if we could become this kind of people, we feel God will use us in extraordinary ways. If we could somehow figure out these nine words about who we are and what we want to become, if we could learn to treat people like this and learn to treat each other like this, man, it's unstoppable. It will become unstoppable. And so what I hope to do over the next several weeks together is to get around these nine simple, singular words that define who we are, that determine our values, that determine the direction of our church. And my hope is that a whole bunch of you, a whole bunch of you will say, I'm in. I'm willing to invest in that. I'm willing to sacrifice for that. I'm willing to pay the price for that. I'm willing to give toward that. I'm willing to pray toward that. I'm willing to care toward that. I'm willing to serve toward that. Because that's the kind of place I want to become. It's the kind of place I want to put myself and my family and my friends. Now others of you, you're going to hear this at the end of this couple weeks and you're going to say, that's not me. These aren't the values that I want for my family and my friends and my people. And so you're going to go elsewhere. And you know what? We're okay with that. But this is who we feel God wants to shape us into. This is who we feel God wants us to become. And I hope that you'll journey with me as we go through these. So are you ready? You ready? So the very first thing, that we landed on. The very first singular word that matters most to us is this word called truth. What is truth? Truth is, is it's like a big, to me it's like, your, your every, it's like your word, whatever you can live off of. Giving your honest opinion, um, not telling a lie. Not a lie? It's the opposite of a lie. And it all depends on how you're raised so, and what you listen to on the radio or television. Jesus Christ. Honesty. It's good. Loyalty. Integrity. Everything around us is truth. Like, this is the reason why, I don't know, like, God made everything. So, you know, every day we get a reminder of, you know, how beautiful the sky is. I think truth is in the, the eye of the beholder, and it's what is in your heart. Life. Nature. I think it's subjective based on the person. I don't think there is one answer. Truth is how you feel inside, 
and how you feel about something, and I think it has a lot to do with your morals, your upbringing, and the Bible. Truth is being forthright in what you say is what you mean. Um, Don't beat around the bush. goes back with honesty. Yeah. Truth goes hand in hand with honesty. Is is the truth the same for everybody? Absolutely not. No, not for everybody. No, everybody looks at truth totally different in yeah. a totally different aspect. No. And, and is the truth the same for everybody? Is yes. the truth the same? Yep. Is it the same for everybody? No, it's not. I don't think so. Should it be the same for everybody? It should be the same, but it's not. And and can people know absolute truth? Can people know what is absolutely true? Um, Sometimes they can if it's coming from them and it's it's their own information. But if they're getting information from somebody else that they claim is true, you never really know. Well, they should. I mean, it's evident in our nature and everything. God made this world so, and he made us. Very good. We don't come from chimps. If they think so in their head... They can. It's now some people have different ideas what the truth is. Yeah. Is there such a thing as absolute truth for everybody? Yes. Yeah, there is. Yes, there is. I doubt that seriously. I. Uh, the only person that's absolute truth is way up there, and I can't get there right now, and I'm not in a hurry either. <laughs> And so we live in a world where truth is this moving dot. I mean, what's true for you is different than for you, and what's true for you is different than for you folks back there. That's kind of the world we live in now, where we're not even sure there is an absolute truth. I found out that truth moves very early in my parenthood years. My son, Zachary, when he was maybe three or four years old, I came home, and he had taken the toilet paper out of the down, or the main floor bath, and he had spread it all over the house, literally decorating the house with toilet paper. Now, Lynette was apparently upstairs and not aware of what was going on, and she's up there, and so I come in, and I say, what's going on, Zachary? And he literally says, Nothing. I'm like, the house is full of toilet paper. From one end to the other, you're decorating the house with toilet paper. Did, uh, did, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing? And he, and he says, uh, I say, who did this? And he says, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, he was preparing for his teenage years, right? Um, and so I look around, and, and, I, and I look him right in the eye, and I get down, and I say, Zachary, did you do this? Did you do this? Right? I look him straight in the eye. And with the most I am innocent voice he could possibly muster, he looks right at me and just shakes his head and says, No, Daddy, I did not do this. And oh, my heart started to break at that moment. I said, Well, who did this? And he straightens up, almost like a light bulb going off, and he goes, Mommy must have done this. <laughs> now, in that moment, I both wanted to, to laugh and to cry. Laugh because obviously Lynette did not do this. And cry because my son had figured out how to lie. It was devastating. Now over the years, and in that moment, um, I decided that we were going to try to teach all four of our kids about this idea of truth. And, and from the very youngest ages, we, we've, we've spoken of the value of truth in our home and, and the value of truth telling in our home by saying this. That we want to be truthful. That we want to be truth tellers in our home. Because God is true. 
Because we want to reflect the character of God and the nature of God. And God is a truth teller. And so the Shasos, we will be truth tellers. We will value truth because we value God. And we want to reflect him and we want to be like God. Listen, friends, and as a community of faith, we want to value truth above everything else. Because God is truth. God is truth. Um, Here's how the book of Romans says it. Chapter three, verse three, it says this. Um, Some of them were unfaithful. He's looking back and he's going, yep, yep, yep. Some of those people who claim to be people of faith, they were not faithful at all. They they didn't walk steady with God. There, There was hypocrisy in them. Then he says this, he goes, yeah, it's true. Some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful does not mean that God is unfaithful. He says, pause for a second. Just because people who claim to follow him, just because they're like this and they're all over the board, just because they lack faith at times, just because they lack consistency at times, just because they're hypocrites at times, does not make God a hypocrite at all. He says this. He says, even if everyone else is a liar, he says, even if every other philosophy is a lie, even if every other teaching is a lie, even if every other word uttered by humanity is a lie, he says, God is not a liar because God is, what does it say? He's true. God is truth. As the scripture says about him, you will be proved right in, in what you say and you will win your case in the courts. You see, friends, listen, our concern with truth is an expression of our concern with God. What we feel about truth is a direct reflection of what we feel about God. And if God exists, then he is the measure of all things. And and, and what he thinks about all things is the measure of what we should think about all things. Not to care about truth literally means that you do not care about God. And not to value truth literally means that you do not value God. Being God-centered in life means that we are truth-centered in all that we do. Being God-centered in this church means that we are truth-centered in all of the ministry of our church. What is not true is not of God. Lies do not reflect the heart of God or the person of God of God or the character of God. What is false is an anti-God. Indifference to the truth is indifference to the very heart and mind and presence of God. Pretense is rebellion against reality. And what really makes reality is God. He ultimately defines reality. So our concern for truth is simply an echo for our concern for God. Our love for the truth is a direct reflection of our love for God. We value truth because we value God in this place and his word above all things. Listen, it is Jesus who said, I am the way, anybody? The truth and the life. He says, truth can be known by knowing me. He says, truth can be found by coming through me. He goes, I am the beginning and the end of truth. It all funnels through me. God and his word, they are preeminent. Now, friends, I want you to hear my heart on this. I know that the whole world, I know that the whole entire world is saying that the Bible is is irrelevant, that the Bible is out of date, that that, that, that the values found in God's word, that they are out of step or irrelevant in the world around us. And friends, listen, that's true. That is true. What we see taught in the scriptures 
is completely out of step with our culture. But maybe, just maybe, that's why our world is so jacked up. Because a whole bunch of us have left the truth of God's word. And we've relied on a shifting truth, a changing truth that changes on how you feel in that moment. We've left this cornerstone, this bedrock of God and his word. But maybe, friends, if more of us valued the truth of God's word, maybe our world would be different and just maybe our world would be better. You think? Just maybe. Uh, recently, I heard a very, very famous preacher defending this move away from traditional marriage and embracing what he called all expressions and forms of love. And, and, and you know, it, the context of this discussion that, that I was listening to was this idea of gay marriage and um, this transgender culture. He was talking about all of this. But, and we've talked about this around here. And I don't want you to get lost in, in that part of the discussion. But what I want you to hear is how he talked of or spoke of God's word. Listen to what he says. Now, he's talking about this idea of of this defending traditional marriage, right? And he says this, quote, we're moments away. We are moments away as a church. I, I think the culture is already there. And the church will continue to become even more and more irrelevant when it continues to quote letters written some 2,000 years ago as their defense for understanding of truth. He was answering Oprah Winfrey about the question of when will the church finally accept gay marriage? Friends, this breaks my heart because he's saying, this very famous preacher saying that God's word doesn't matter. What what he's trying to say is this, is that if you look around in our culture, church after church, denomination after denomination, entire Christian movements have, have walked away from God's word, have turned away from God's word. And the reason that so many Christian church movements are moving away from God's word is they're saying this, they're saying, if we don't move away from the standard of God's word, we're gonna become increasingly irrelevant in our day. We're going to become increasingly irrelevant in our time, in in this world. And friends, I would say that's crazy. The reason you're becoming irrelevant, the reason because, because less and less people are paying attention to you is because you are moving away from God's word and you're looking more and more just like the world around you and nobody even notices you. Friends, it's when we move away from God's word and all that he has for us and all the truth that it contains we become irrelevant to this world because we become just like another social club out there. And the world has plenty of social clubs that are a lot cooler than we are. And they won't even notice a blip on the radar with us. Friends, this world, if we, move, if we continue to move away from God, I promise you we'll become more and more irrelevant to the very world that we're saying that we're trying to reach. Somebody came up to me uh, several years ago, right after church, right down front, uh, after service, and, and this lady was as nice as can be. She was sweet as can be, and I'm sure she meant well. But I remember she came up to me and she goes, um, she says, man, Pastor Jay, you're, you're a really good Bible teacher. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, I was like really encouraged. I said, man, thanks a lot. That's, that really means something to me. I really appreciate you saying that. And then she goes, but <laughs> we, we tend to spend a lot of time on the Bible around here. 
and I didn't know what to make of this. I'm like kind of like thrown for a little loop. And I'm like, we're a church. That's what we do. We talk about the Bible. That's, that's kind of what we do, you know? And she, I mean, she, I'm sure she meant well, but she literally said this. She says, well, we spend a lot of time talking about the Bible and that's good and everything. But she says, you, you do know that there are other books out there that are really, really good. And I'm like, my head's starting to spin at this point. And I'm like, what are you talking about, lady? I didn't say that to her, but I'm like, okay. And, and she goes, well, so maybe we could just spend some time talking about other books. And she literally says this. She goes, she goes, well, you know, Dr. Phil, he just came out with a book. I read it. It's really good. Maybe we could just spend a couple months as a church getting around that book instead. And, and I didn't know, hardly know how to respond. I mean, here I am, a young leader. I'm trying to figure this, you know, how to lead our congregation in this church and all that. And the only thing I could think of to say was, ma'am, um, thanks a lot for the suggestion, but I think we're just going to stick with the Bible. <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of to say. You know, like, we're just going to stick with the book because the book seems to be okay with me, right? Um, listen, friends, you don't need me or anybody else to come up here on stage and give you three pats on the back and a three-point outline from our wisdom, from our learnings, from our understanding. You don't need us to go, hey, here's what Oprah says. Here's three steps to a better life. You know what you need? And you know what I need? You know what your family needs? You know what my family needs? We need the word of God brought to bear on our life. That's what we need. I don't need somebody else going, oh, Jeremy, you're fine. You're good. If you just do these three easy steps, your life will be better. No, friends, I need the leadership of God's word brought to bear on my home, onto my soul. I need it to be fed to me. And friends, that is what we believe in this church, that it is our number one core value, that this church is anchored in the truth of God's word and it will never change. It doesn't matter to me how much culture changed. I don't care if I'm the last guy standing. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. But I want you to know something. And I think this is very, very important. The truth always aims at love. And love always aims back at truth. Truth always points us toward love. And love always points us Toward truth. This is why the second singular word that we want to use to describe who we're becoming as a people is love. We want to be a people known for our crazy, reckless, unrelenting sort of a love. Love for God and love for the people that he loves. For the very people that he wants to reach. Love. Listen, love is, is, is the other side of truth. They're the, they're, they're the same coin, just different sides of the coin. They're one coin. They cannot be separated. They cannot be pulled apart. Love and truth go together. We've all seen these like judgmental, holier than thou, preacher type guys who stand up on their soapbox and they use the truth as like a beating bat to kind of beat people into submission, beat them into the ground. But listen, that was never God's intention. Jesus always wanted the truth to set us free, to elevate us, to lift us, not to condemn us, not to beat us. And I pray to God that no one ever walks out of this place feeling that when the truth of God is spoken, that they were beat down rather than lifted up. Because it is never my intention to beat anyone down with the word of God. But the word of God must be carried in a blanket of love. It must be shrouded in love. It must be totally immersed in love. Because love stirs the human heart. It opens the door for truth. Love penetrates the soul and widens the soul in ways that truth, simple truth cannot. It takes both, friends. Friends. 
In one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible, a man named Paul um, speaks of this idea of how we are to conduct ourselves in the world around us. This little church, church in the city of Corinth, they were, they were trying to figure out how do we be, be Christians? How do we walk like Christ in a world that does not love him, does not walk with him, that is in total rebellion against him? And we call this the love chapter of scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul says, this is how we ought to live in our world. He says these words, starting in verse 1. He says, if I could speak in all of the languages of earth and of the languages of angels. So in other words, if I have a whole bunch of truth, a whole bunch of knowledge, a whole bunch of understanding. He says, if I have all of that, but didn't love others I would be nothing but a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possess all of the knowledge, and if I had faith that can move mountains. In other words, if I have this deep abiding relationship with God, but he says, but if I have not love, but if I did not love others, I would be, say this word, nothing. It would count for nothing. It would be empty. It'd be futile. It'd be worthless if you don't love it's worthless. If you serve and without love, it's worthless. If you teach without love, it's worthless. If you care for our kids and Metro kids without love, it is worthless, worthless, worthless. He says that truth must be carried in love every single time. He says, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained, what is this word? Nothing. And then he describes what this this call to love looks like. How it's supposed to operate in my life and in your life. When people look at us, this is what they're supposed to see. He says this, for love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of, of being wronged. It does not rejoice in injustices, but rejoices whenever what? Truth wins. They go together, the same coin. There's no separation between love and truth. Grace and love, truth, all goes together. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopes, always endures through every single circumstance. You see, friends, truth always aims at love. And love always points us back to truth. They go together. They cannot be separated. I I read this um, very simple story. It's like a blog of, uh, of a young man's account of how he found Christ in this world. He was a big partier and he was far from the heart of God. And he writes his little story out. And I just want to read it to you. It's pretty amazing. He says this, everyone knew that Donner Hall had the best parties of all. All night dance parties and beer guzzling attracted the largest weekend crowds by far on our campus, especially the notorious second floor. By midnight, every Friday and Saturday, the entire floor was three inches deep in smell beer cans and empty wine bottles and stale potato chips. Sounds fun. But by 7 a.m., he says, the next morning, I was always surprised to see that the garbage had been removed and everything was cleaned up. The second floor residents assumed that uh, some sort of conscientious janitor or two came bright and early in the morning before anyone awoke and cleaned up the mess. Early one Saturday morning, though, I was still hungover from the Friday night party before. I stumbled out of bed to head toward the bathroom at the end of the hall. Noticing a freshly vacuumed second floor, I, I mumbled to myself about something about how the janitors had come awfully early to clean up this mess. On reaching the bathrooms, however, my nose warned me that the mess wasn't completely cleaned up yet. 
A trail of vomit soiled the bathroom floor, ending at the point where someone was in the very moment of mopping it up. I thought to myself, I'm sure glad this janitor is doing this work and not me. Then that's, w- that's when I noticed that the janitor was not a janitor at all, but he was one of the guys who lived in the little house next door to our building. His name was Marco, and he was cleaning up the vomit. I remember saying to Marco, man, dude, what are you doing? And Marco answered rather simply, I'm cleaning up the mess. Why? I said, you were not even at the party last night. And what he says next literally changed my life. He said, well, it's because I am a Christian. Because I am a Christian, I'm going to love you like this. I'm going to serve you like this. You see, friends, without love, all the messages and all the preaching and all the sermonizing doesn't matter a hill beans. Without love, we cannot stir the hearts of of fellow humanity. Um, Listen, without love, we are nothing, the scripture says. But when we love, the truth of Christ is seen. When we love, um, when we love, it's on display for others to see. When we love selflessly and relentlessly, the hearts of people are moved. When, when, When we love like this as a church, people see something different in us. And it opens the soul. It opens the heart. It opens the mind. It opens the ear to the soul. It does something that truth alone cannot do. And here's how the, the scripture says this. Listen closely. It says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It says this idea about love. It says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. Pause for a second. If people know that you come to church every weekend, if people know that you get in your car and you crank up the Christian music, if people know that somehow you're involved with this little life group Bible study thing, but if they look at you and they don't see your life enveloped in love, they'll think it's all worthless. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, if you do not love, the scripture says, it doubts that you even know who God is. If you don't serve the way he serves and love the way he loves and show grace the way he shows grace, he doubts that you even know God because it says this, it says that for God is love. For God is love. If you say you know God, then you love like God. You care like God. You show grace like God shows grace. This is the kind of people that I want to be. This is the kind of church that I want to become. When people walk in these doors, they think there's something strange going on. There's something weird going on because they love each other not like the world loves each other. That they love open-handedly. That they love graciously. That they love in a ridiculous sort of a way. When they come in here, they just go, woo, there is something strange about these people, but I like it. I like it. And I want some of that for my life. That's the kind of church I want to be where truth is embraced, but truth always aims at love. And love always aims back and points back to the truth. People can hear that God is true, but they need to see that God is love because it will stir the souls of humanity. And let me tell you something. Here's what I'm figuring out. When, when you get 
around a person that, that is wise, that is truth-filled, you want more of that person, right? When we go to college, we pay these people to teach us, we buy their books, we listen to them on TV, we even come to church and you go, wow, I want to learn from that guy, that girl, that person, right? So we, we value truth. I mean, we, I think all of us would admit that we want to learn from somebody. But when you get around somebody like that, you want more of them. And then when you get around somebody who, who loves and just, just has this spirit of grace about them, when they just love you unconditionally, my guess is, is that you want more of that as well, right? You want to get more around that person, not less around that person. And so when somebody is full of truth and they're full of love, my guess is that you want more of that person, not less. So let me ask you, who is the person that comes to your mind who was most full of truth, most full of wisdom that you would want to get around? And who was most full of love that you would want to get around? Who? He has a name. Jesus. When I think of this, there is no one who married truth and love more than Jesus. Grace and truth came together in one package in the man named Jesus. He was God made flesh. And he showed us the perfect truth of God mixed with the perfect love of God. And when you see that, you want more of that, don't you? And so friends, this is what we value as a church. We want to grow into the likeness of Jesus. This matters to us. This is a value to us. Growth is our third value. Growth. Here's what the scripture says, and I want us to understand this. That we value growth. In, in the book of First Peter, he, he's speaking of this idea of moving somewhere with this thing called faith. That when you, when you lock into this person who is full of love and full of truth, it changes you. It grows you up. And so here's what he says in First Peter chapter 2. Listen very carefully. It says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Get rid of it all. Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy, and all kinds of unkind speech. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will what? So that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Have you ever been around a baby, a newborn baby, who is like screaming his head off for his mama? Right? He's saying, when you find this thing called faith, when, it, when, when you discover truth and grace for the first time, you ought to be like this newborn baby that just screams out to God and says, I want more of you, like a baby who's just going, mama, 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 I need what mama can give. We say, I need what daddy can give. Paul describes this picture of when she, once you meet grace and truth. You want more of it, not less. You want more of him, not less. You want to become more like him, not less like him. That you're willing to change who you are. You're willing to grow who you are. We value this thing called growth. Let me tell you something, friends. If and when you meet truth, and if and when you meet grace, love, it will change you. Something is going to start stirring in you. There's going to be a lack of satisfaction. There's going to be like this baby inside of you crying out for something different. Now, if you've been around any length of time here at Metro, I'm going to warn you, you will be challenged. You will be prodded, nudged, kicked sometimes, spiritually. You're going to be encouraged to grow, encouraged to change. 
Listen, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I've been around church life for far too long. And I am tired of religion. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people um, thinking that somehow your relationship with God can be surmised by coming to church and singing a couple songs and listening to a couple good things and, and going, oh, that's a nice little sermon, Pastor. It is not the heart of God. He wants to grow us up. He wants us to crave more of him, to become more like him in everything that we do. Bitterness, move it aside. Jealousy, move it aside. Unkind speech, move it aside. All kinds of evil, move it aside. More of him, less of this world. Frankly, I'm just tired of of more of Jeremy and less of God. I'm tired of it in my own life. He wants me to grow. He wants me to change. He wants me to become more like him and less like me. It drives me crazy sometimes. I hear this around here. People, people uh, do this kind of crazy thing. They go, they go, uh, they go well, that's a nice message, uh, Pastor Jay, but uh, I've always been this way, you know, and it's just always been my, uh, my struggle. It's been my deal. It's like just who I am. So you've always been a jerk, and you're just going to think you can always be a jerk, right? Is, there, is that really what we say to God? No. I've always had this struggle. Well, you've always had this struggle, and God says, I want to take you somewhere. I want to challenge you. I want to move you forward in your life. I don't want you to stay the same. Well, I've always been this way. Who cares? You're done with that way. He wants to form something new in you. Listen, if you're going to stick around Metro as your church home, and I hope that you do, I'm going to annoy the heck out of you. I'm going to challenge you to become somebody new, to let God become more in you. I'm going to challenge you over and over. I'm going to annoy you like crazy about joining a life group to get around other believers to do life with. I'm going to challenge you always. I will never, I will wear you out. I will tell you over and over, you need to serve. You need to serve in your local church. You need to get in the game and allow God to use your talents and your giftedness, your passions and your energy, that it will not be wasted because God, when you do that, will form himself inside of you. You are most like Christ when you willfully serve in his church. I won't give up. Beating you down in a good way. <laughs> he wants us to grow, friends. He wants us to change, to become like him, to take these next steps. I, I remember watching uh, one time on the Discovery Channel. Or it might have been one of those crazy animal channels. I don't know. But uh, I don't like animals too much. But anyways, I was watching this deal and it, it caught my attention. It was fascinating. Uh, it was about the, the wildebeest in the um, Serengeti Plains of Tanzania. It, 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 was, it was remarkable. They were, they were talking about how there are millions and millions of animals that live in the same region. And, and this particular documentary was about wildebeest in the Tanzanian plain called the Serengeti Plain, right? And uh, wildebeest are like fancy deer. They're like antelope, big fancy antelope, right? And so uh, they were talking about how there are tens and tens of thousands of them that gather into, into single herds, like just massive amount of herds. And they were talking about when, when a wildebeest gives birth, the mother immediately, like literally within minutes, starts to nudge the baby to life, to grow, to take its first steps, to move forward, and even to run. And so uh, on film, they, they, like, they were showing like these babies just like, poof, flop out, and there's like a baby horse. It's crazy, you know? And all of a sudden, it's there, and the mom starts to kick at it, nudge at it, and stir at it, and all of a sudden, this little baby gets up on four wheels, and it kind of wobbles around and goes, poof, 
and falls right over. And the mom is relentless. The mom comes right back and kicks it and moves it along and nudges it and stirs it to get back up. And that little guy gets back up and goes, and falls again. It's crazy over and over and over because this mom knows something. That the plains of the Serengeti are not just filled with wildebeest. They are filled with predators. And so in this little documentary, it showed how this mom was nudging one. Some of the babies would get up and they'd start to run right away. But this, the camera zeroed in on this one little wildebeest that the mom was trying to nudge it. It would get up and fall, get up and fall, get up and fall. And it just couldn't seem to find itself. But the hyenas found it. And the first hyena comes into the scene and all of a sudden that mother gets very protective and starts going after that, uh, that hyena and, and they start to do battle and that, that one little hyena would run away. But it came back with two or three more. And then two or three more. And the mother would do everything he could and it would fight him off and then it would try to get this little wildebeest to run. It would nudge it and nudge it. The little guy would get up and fall over. And all of a sudden, within minutes, within 15 minutes of birth, this little guy was completely surrounded by hyenas. Must have been 15 or 20 of them in a deadly pack. And it showed right on film this little baby um, wildebeest just getting torn to shreds by these hyenas. Now, what was most remarkable to me, most remarkable, was this mother that tried to nudge this baby to life, to move this baby to grow and to become something. When the camera backed up, just moved back about 100 feet away, there were literally tens of thousands of wildebeest in one of the largest herds on planet earth. And all that thing had to do was get up and run just a little bit. Friends, what a picture of what the enemy does to us. It wants to devour us. It wants to eat our soul alive. And if you don't figure out, and this is one of the reasons we say all the time around here, you need to figure out a way to feed your soul, grow your soul, grow your, your, your spirit, discipline your spirit, figure out a way to grow up inside. Because there is an enemy who hates you and hates God and wants to destroy you. And if you don't learn to walk, and if you don't learn to run, you will be devoured. And it will be just like that. Anybody in the room ever feel that way? Like you've taken a couple steps and you're trying to figure this thing called faith out and all of a sudden it is like down for the count. It doesn't take much to be devoured. And this is one of the reasons we value growth. And we will push you and nudge you and even kick you. Because we love you. And we want you to grow. We want you to run after God. We want you to make it in your faith. Amen? So God, we humbly bow before you and uh, we think of these values of truth and love and growth. God, I pray that you would bury these deep into the fabric of our culture here, into our DNA. Sometimes it is not easy. Um, sometimes we want to leave and blame other people. Sometimes it's our own sin that takes us away. Right now, God, for each person in this room, speak into our lives. Show us where we need to embrace truth more, where we need to love at greater levels, where we need to work on our growth. God, help us to be like you in all of these areas. 
Help us to run after you in all of these areas. Help Metro City Church to be this kind of church in all of these areas. Develop this inside of us. This is how we want to do it around here. In Jesus' name, we say, amen.